Hello, good evening everyone. Welcome to another episode of Querying the Air. And I'm here accompanied with my co-host Jacob. Um, hi Jacob. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome everyone to our show. Thanks for joining us. Yes. And um, before we start, I'm going to um, acknowledge that we are standing on a stolen land. Um, pay my respect to a past... I would like to acknowledge the wise people of our indigenous communities, past, present and emerging, who are the foundation of this great country of ours. I recognize that we share this land with the traditional owners and custodians. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So um, we have a good lineup. Um, tonight, isn't it, Jacob? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We in the studio with us. Um, we are in the presence of the the winner of the NADOC Pride Award. So really excited yes. to speak with them all about the award and their life. And yeah, we'll have a good um, little chat there. Mm-hmm. And then following that, we had a really interesting discussion um, with the Queer Indonesia Archives, which if you haven't heard of it, it's a digital archiving project that documents the queer history of Indonesia. So that'll be coming up at around 3.30. Uh, so stay tuned. And yeah, we'll probably play a couple of songs, have a bit mm, of a chat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I'm very excited about tonight's episodes because um, yeah, it was such an honor to 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 have met um, Sid and also uh, Bo mm-hmm. um, to do the interview about the um, Indonesian querying, Indonesian queer history archives. Yes, it's very interesting because. Um, I've never thought that's gonna, you know, that's gonna happen because being in a Muslim country is, it's so, it's hard being queer in a um, Muslim country. But you will be amazed of how much um, has happened. Um, probably back in the, they said, in the 50s, like all these mm. histories that they have collected. So, yeah, stay tuned. They're gonna be on at 3 30. But before that, <gasps> We'll be speaking with Kitty. So Kitty is uh, Kitty Obsidian. (laughs) Kitty Obsidian, look them up on the Instagram, (laughs) is um, a burlesque performer. They do fire. They do a lot of different things. Yeah. But they're here with us now. So do you want to start by introducing yourself? Hello. Um, So I'm Kitty. I'm very proud. Rodri and Camilla Roy, a non-binary person. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, And I'm a full-time performer. Which has been super fun post COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And you recently, um, last week, I believe, depending yeah. on if the week starts on Sunday or Monday, but for me, it's last <laughs> week <laughs> and NADOC week, won yes. the, the NADOC Pride Award. Congratulations. Thank you. Woo. And tell us a bit about the award. What's it all about? Uh, I'm I'm really excited because I didn't actually realize that Vic Nadoc did um, a whole bunch of Pride, um, like Pride events and Pride awards, which is really really cool to be nominated for. So basically, the the Vic Nadoc Pride Award, as far as I understand it, is about recognizing that there are queer mob um, that serve their community and do the best they can, not only for representation but also in education um, to help all queer mob, you know, be in safe places and be accepted uh, as who they are and, and be represented for who they are because I find that there are still lots of um, stereotypes around you know Indigenous people around black fellas yeah. uh, that they kind of 
I feel like we get overlooked a lot as queer people and in queer spaces we're not really thought of either when you think of queer spaces it's very mm. cis heteronormative gay male um very mm-hmm. white yeah. you know so you don't really see a lot of queer people of color and particularly queer mobs so it's yeah it's really cool to have an award based around the fact that I show up and I'm like hello <laughs> <laughs> we're here <laughs> so, it's funny that we were standing behind you and Jacob noticed you like wearing that sash uh, at the, the NADOC at march, the, the, the march. Yeah. Uh, and yeah it was like should we approach? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know. Let, let's just do it. Let's do it. Yeah, and, do. Yeah. And Jacob straight away approached you. And I, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Jacob always have a good eye. Yeah. He, he's always working all the time. <laughs> good. Yeah. You're picking out the things. Being yeah. like, what's going on here? Yeah. I knew I recognized the pink hair. That's what oh, it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really great that Vic Nadoc is doing is doing Pride Awards and doing Pride events for uh, our queer Indigenous mob. I, I'd really like to see that recognised on a national scale, mm. just personally. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's still it's fairly new. They've only been doing the Pride Awards for the last four or five years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, we'll gain some traction and and it'll become a much bigger celebration of, of queer Indigenous people. Mm. Yes. So, yes. As it should be. Yes. Kitty, I wanna, <coughs> oh, can, can you tell us a bit more about your performance? Like, how do you start? <laughs> Let's go back to how do you start? I mean, how do you get those um, passion to do these performances? Oh, wow. What a... What a <laughs> it's been, I've had an interesting time, actually. So I, when I was growing up, I did martial arts as a kid. Um, I actually competed internationally in Japan for karate, which was pretty cool. Mm. Um, uh, but I was very, very severely injured um, and I really couldn't keep up with the training. Uh, I have some some serious back injuries. And I also had some really bad mental health issues. Um, and I ended up just falling into um, <laughs> fetish and kink performance right. at, at 18. <coughs> um, <laughs> Slow. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, and then – and so I was doing that for a while, but it, that is also quite hard on the body. I was doing very extreme, risky styles of performance because um, I like pushing my body. And, uh, anyway, this – the most gorgeous woman I'd ever seen in my life walked in one time to like just a kink event. Mm. And I was like, I don't know if I want to be you or fuck you. Turns out both. (laughs) (laughs) She was incredible. She was incredible. Like I just, I've never seen anyone like her. Um, And I had like a whole fair go moment. I was like, Oh my God, you're so beautiful and amazing. Um, Anyway, we ended up dating for a little bit. She's now one of my really good friends. We're We're no longer together, but yeah, she's a really, really good friend. And she was, I guess, kind of my first mentor into like burlesque. Um, She's very heavily involved in like classic burlesque performance and is tours all over the world now, um, which is really cool. And um, yeah, I just, I got addicted. Like she would take me to some of her events, taught me some stuff. I helped with costumes and things. And then she convinced me to take on like a class to like do a proper burlesque class. Mm -mm. And yeah, just absolutely loved the freedom it gave me to like express myself however I wanted. Now I've kind of circled back into fetish uh, by doing fetish and sideshow performances in my burlesque because mm-hmm. um, I like to try and combine those two sides of me and really push that representation and show that you don't have to be a certain way. You, you know, that's the greatest thing about burlesque as an art form is it's really individual. It's up to you. It's a lot right. like drag that way. You can yeah. just create anything that you like. Um, so, yeah, and now I walk on glass and eat fire and do all sorts of crazy shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Putting your body on the line. <laughs> I do. I love it. It's fun. <laughs> you know, I've been to... 
the festival that you said, the King Oz uh, festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once. I thought I've seen it all, but oh my God, like I was, yeah, a lot of, full of surprises. Yeah. Everything is so professional, you mm-hmm. know, it's, yeah, it was, yeah, it opened up my eyes. Like, this is so amazing. I only experienced once, but I need to experience it again. Performers are amazing. Well, that's just it. I mean, like. It's art. It is art. Mm. And, and I think that really comes down to, again, people don't always understand what's involved. So, like, you look at Sideshow or you look at Fetish and there's this kind of, like, inherent assumption that if you're a Sideshow freak, then you're not going to be into, like, pretty or mm. cute things or into comedy, which I like to marry my Sideshow and comedy together. Yeah. Um, or if that you're into kink and Fetish, that it's always about, sex and it's always really intense and dark and it doesn't have to be that either like for me kink and sex are completely separate that's why i like doing fetish and sideshow performances um and they are separate categories i just like to mingle with them a lot so yeah it would take a really long time for me to explain i'll try and keep it short um but yeah i just try and keep them keep them separate and and try to educate a little bit more about them as well Mm-mm. so that it's not this like big scary overwhelming thing um it can be really funny and silly and goofy to watch as well yeah yeah I love you, it. You need to come. I <laughs> want to. Yes, I'll Dude. let you know the next one. I always keep getting an email from them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a baby with all this stuff. I've never been to a I always show. want to experience everything once in my life. So that's why yeah. I went. I was like, oh my God. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. this is... You you get a lot of this like in in um Europe countries like in UK in yeah. Germany you hardly think that this can happen here in Australia but we do have one now in mm. Melbourne yeah mm. we have a we have a pretty big scene actually here in mm. Australia and it's from someone that's lived all over Australia it's really interesting how each like capital city has its own flavor yeah. as well like each capital city have has its own like unique thing that they are obsessed with in that kink scene yeah. which is really fun yeah. um and interesting to look at and it's like I like turning up to a new place and being like hmm What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, it's good fun. Absolutely. Mm-mm. And I think just circling back to this NADOC Pride Award, mm. I want to ask, um, what does this award mean to you? And more generally, what does Pride um, during NADOC Week mean to you? Wow. Um, I mean, okay, so pri- for Pride in NADOC Week is really about I guess coming home and, and being recognized as a whole person, like again, because there's so uh, so much dissociation between being indigenous and being queer, you know, it's kind of like I get celebrated for one or the other, whereas doing pride in NADOC, I actually just get to be celebrated as a whole person, just as one, one person who happens to be queer and mob like yeah. that's mm. yeah that's really important to me so that that's really like it feels like coming home it feels like acceptance in a way that I think we all strive for we all look for that that sort of that family and that acceptance yeah. um so it's really really important which is one of the reasons why I do want it to go further and I want more people to recognize that it's there um yeah sorry I forgot the other question I got so caught up and <laughs> <laughs> no that's okay um it was just about what does um the NADOC pride award oh, mean to yeah. you and, and what does pride in NADOC week mean yeah well? well I mean kind of the same thing but like to be to be nominated in the first place was a really big deal I got I got like the email being like you've been really popular nomination for this award and I was like I didn't even know this award was a thing that? like I didn't even know it was there <laughs> Wait, oh not- shit okay <laughs> What do I do? Um, no, it was really cool. And it was cool because they were like, you know, here's all of like the things that you'll do. And like, well, we need you to come on Wednesday to the, the Pride event. And I was like, oh, that's sick. I'd love to go just to have a NADOC Pride event. That's so cool. Yeah. Why are we not 
why have I not heard of this? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that recognition that like I, I do, I do work really hard and I don't, I don't work hard at this for recognition. I work hard at it because I don't ever want kids to grow up feeling the way I felt growing up, mm. which, you know, was very like dissociated from my identity. And for a really long time, I, n- I didn't even talk about being indigenous. Like I kept it very close to the chest because right. if I did talk about it, I'd, I'd, cop like verbal abuse <laughs> um uh, and from your community well, mostly from white people All right. um, mm-hmm. but there is the occasional yeah m- mob who i'll just kind of like prove it and like they get really intense and i understand why because you know there's this kind of like misconception that mm. indigenous people are trying to get free shit from the government in which case i would like my free shit please mm. um <laughs> but <laughs> that's not actually how it works yeah. you don't actually get free shit from the government so um yeah, I, I understand like like why people get really defensive, um, and I think that's part of the intergenerational trauma that comes from colonization and the way right. that we're still treated to this day, and the way that um, I mean, like Australia is very racist as a country. We don't like to talk about it because we like to think we're all like, you know, easy, easygoing, laid back, mm. but they're not. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on there, which is really hard to deal with. But yeah, it was mostly white people that were like. Yeah, your great great grandfather or whatever was indigenous. So that just means that you're a fucking white bitch, and I'd be like, it's mm, not how it works. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> also you're wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I didn't really talk about it for a long time. So for me, coming to Melbourne and and having that acceptance and recognition is really powerful because it's like I'm doing what I can to make spaces accessible and safe for other queer mobs so that they don't have to deal with that the way I had to deal with that. Mm. Um, and I want them to know that they're allowed to just be themselves in queer spaces, in normal spaces, like, well, normal's the wrong word, in non-queer spaces, mm-hmm. and just be yeah. who they are. Um, but, I mean, like, it's very, I feel very honoured and quite a bit overwhelmed, actually, that um, that I was nominated and, and then won, because it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, of course. And how many are there was nominated? I actually don't know. Um, I know that that there was a few people that were nominated that couldn't make it on the night, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was three or four of us on the night that that did performances and and there was like a panel of judges and they – so we had to like answer some questions on stage and and do a performance um, and then they chose their winner from there. Oh, okay. I thought it was like online voting by the public. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. That would be my next question. (laughs) Yeah, so they had like a panel. I think there was like five – queer um aboriginal people so there was um like one of our elders who's um who's a who's been a drag queen and is a sister girl for many very many years um a few other queer performers um Mm -hmm. like that obviously they're all mob um and i think one or two of the elders and then there was the other nadoc winners the other vic nadoc winners were there as well which was pretty cool yeah so I got to meet them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we, we did a performance um, of each of our own style. So mine was burlesque. Um, uh, one of the girls was a comedian. So she did this, she did like a, a set. Another girl was like a, a poet, spoken word poet. Um, so yes, we all did stuff. And then we all got asked questions about like, you know, what does NADOC mean to you? And what, what do you want to bring if you right. win and all this kind of stuff? And then, yeah, mm. and, and then they, they judged me. So... so this event is open to public or just private event no it is open to public but it's prioritized for mob okay so yeah Mm. yeah so it's kind of like they have a set amount of tickets and Mm. then like if there are any left that that mob haven't bought then it's open to public from there right um so but yeah definitely prioritizes yeah 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 
which is good. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I guess now that you've won this uh, award, where are you hoping to to take it, or what are you hoping to do with this platform? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> world like domination. Like I'm gonna go world tour now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Akiri's going. Uh, yeah, to, I'm, to I'm going to Europe. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, which is really cool. Uh, totally unrelated, but also hilarious. Um, what I would like to do with the NADOC Award is is to, again, really push that representation and go, you know, like, we're here. We are here. Like, people, are, like, the amount of times I hear producers or venues being like, oh, I can't find any people of colour that are performers. I'm like, bullshit. Mm. You just haven't bothered to ask to mm. see if you can find anyone because mm. you're comfortable booking the same, you know, two or three people over and over again. And yeah. that's not how... That's not how, you know, equality or equity or anything like that, like inclusion works. You've mm. got to, you've really got to put the work in. We are here. We're around. Um, you know, we want to be involved. We want to want to be up on stages and want to be representing. But mm. um, it can be quite difficult sometimes. So I'd like to push that a bit further. Um, I do, I do consult occasionally for different bodies to be like, here's how you can make spaces not just safe, but also actually accessible, which looks at, you know, like income um, inequality and how we can provide um, access to more Indigenous mob um, so they can, sorry, more queer mob so they can uh, actually do the things and, and get involved in big productions and whatnot, which is good because we're, we're very talented. There's a heap of really amazing, talented artists out there that deserve those chances that don't that just get overlooked and don't get them. So I'd like to do that with NADOC, um, which would be cool. And uh, I believe that with the NADOC Pride winner and also um, two of the other nominees um, were the Indigenous face for Midsummer. So I'd like to do a lot more stuff with Midsummer next yeah. year and really yeah. push, really push. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, get out of the way. We're here. It's good. No. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm going to Europe for six weeks. Um, I've been booked to perform um, all over in like lots of different countries, which is so exciting. Yeah, oh my God, amazing. it was happening to my life. Um, and it's really cool because like, uh, so I've been accepted into the Stockholm um, International Burlesque Festival in Sweden, which is incredible. And I'm their first Aboriginal performer. So there's like, I have a lot of pressure on myself to like really step up and represent and be like, hello, yeah. we are here and amazing. Book us. Yeah. You know, um, I'm one of the co-founder of Trans Pride Concert as well. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So we did the, tr uh, the Pride Concert this year, mm -hmm. and um, we've uh, also been given the opportunity to do it again next year. So we yes. we will be looking for Ooh, more hello. performance. <laughs> yeah. So definitely um, have you in the list too, and and anyone that you want to recommend, that would be great as well. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a list. We'll chat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It will be a good platform as well. Yeah. yeah. So, Jacob, any more questions for Kitty? <laughs> yeah, um, I am really inspired by all of oh, the things you. that you've said. And I think it's, <laughs> it's so important. We've had, um, well, I've had chats on this show before with some other First Nations performers about mainstream queer spaces and uh, this kind of issue that they have with mm. being able to be safe for everyone, mm. regardless of skin tone. Or whatnot. So I want to hear your thoughts about how can we make mainstream queer spaces safer places for First Nations and POC. Yeah, oh, I mean, like it's a it's a very complicated question, but um, I'll try and condense without talking for like the next four hours, and you can get rid of me. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest for me the biggest issue that I see in terms of creating safety is a lot of queer spaces are still 
restricted to nightclubs. Mm. And there is a very big drug and alcohol problem in the queer scene, regardless of, of race. Um, I think a lot of queer people turn to substance abuse as mm. a way to handle things. Right. Um, no judgments. You do you, boo. Have mm. fun, whatever, responsibly. But I would really like to see some um, some spaces that aren't all about the party lifestyle. I'd like, I'd like for us to have choices. Mm-hmm. I want to have the choice about whether I want to go have a party and have a few drinks or whether I want to go to like the local coffee shop and chill out and have chats yeah. and, you know, connect with my community that way. Um, I think that's really important. We need to start looking at, at accessibility and options for all queer people, but to, specifically because that does cause so much harm to Indigenous cultures. Um, our bodies are not designed to be able to process a lot mm. of alcohol. It really fucks with our kidneys. We have a lot of kidney issues and that plays into Indigenous health issues. Yeah. Mm. Um, so having non-alcoholic or just spaces that aren't about drinking and drugs is really important. Um, there are small things. I mean, the more that you hire Indigenous and, and BIPOC artists, the more representation you have, the more likely it is that these communities know that it's safe to go there. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Um, you know, it's really important to do your acknowledgements of country and properly, um, <laughs> which I say like a bit stingy because like the amount of times I get asked like, oh, how do I do a good acknowledgement of country? I'm like, Google it. Mm. It's not mm. hard, guys. Um, you know, being aware of, of whose land you're on, taking the time to figure out how to pronounce the names correctly. It's yeah. very basic stuff. It doesn't actually take that much work and yet it's still something I have to fight for a lot of people to do. Mm. Um you know, and just really keeping on top of that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, mostly for me, representation is important. If I go to a space that's meant to be a safe space for queer people and it is overwhelmingly cis, like, you know, male, mm-hmm. gay, white men, I'm probably not going to feel very comfortable there. Mm. Um, I'm a very femme-presenting, non-binary person, and for whatever reason, a lot of people think that because they're gay and that because I'm queer that they can just, like, touch my body, Yeah, which is really frustrating. I'm like, don't. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not going to go there again because I know that that's... No safe space. There's not a safe space yeah. for me because I because my people aren't there. Like yeah. my community isn't there. My mob's not there. Why would I go there? Like yeah. that makes no sense to me. So mm. yeah, yeah. Really, really making sure that you've got you you're hiring and looking after those people. So you've got performers and you've got bar staff and managers and entertainers. Mm. That's how you create the safe space. Yeah. Mm. And I'm fully on board with this idea of a, a queer coffee store. Like Legit. let's make it happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a few already, but not many um, mm. up in the north side. Okay. Yeah, I've seen all social media. I mean, oh, cool. and um, you know what? This is like evolution. Like they have focused on indigenous people and also um, trans women of color. They yeah. put all focus at the front now, which is really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it, what's so necessary too, because this is the intersection of marginalized communities. If you mm. If you put you know, multiple people that have multiple marginalised, you know, identities, they have to struggle twice, three times, four times as hard Mm. because they've got to face discrimination in so many ways. So it is necessary to put, you know, queer people of colour and trans women of colour at the front. It's it's so important just for basic safety. It's just nice to see, like... Um, they focus on people of colour now. Yeah. Like events, like people of colour can get in free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just nice to see. Yeah. I've never seen this before in my life. I've, I've out party a lot before <laughs> and I had to pay full, full price. Yeah. Sometimes even more. Yeah. Or like there's, I know there's a couple of clubs or a couple of like um, night, like events yeah. that um, that queer people run that are like, oh, free entry for mob or yeah. like, you know, discounted mob tickets and things like that, which I think's yeah. I mean, like, 
the the bare minimum really like <laughs> the bar's pretty low guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's just nice to see that um we're being acknowledged um now yeah 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 i have hopes yes. um and well kitty i think that's all we have time for Thank today you. but no, no, i have one, oh, you one, have one question more? Oh, yeah. so do you have any advice for next year's nominees oh <laughs> um <laughs> be prepared for a whirlwind week because i was not <laughs> um so it was like you know monday night got got the got the email Wednesday it was like do a performance and and chat to people online which was just really intense um I'm sorry chat to people in person like questions that were really important and then on like Thursday we had like there was like a there was just like a bunch of NADOC events it was like okay go now you've got to like speak at all these NADOC events and don't get me wrong I love talking clearly <laughs> um but it was a lot to be like oh heck I've got to come up with speeches to say in front of like you know politicians or like at the NADOC gala ball these are really big powerful moments of representation you know, you've got like a minute or less to really get your point across. That's difficult at the best of times, right. but especially when it's just go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. So just be prepared, you know, and and it's great fun. Love it. Enjoy the ride. Go for it. The, you, the mob that you meet and like the connections that you make is incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, get ready for a week. It's whoo. It's a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kitty, thank you thank so much you. for joining us today. Where can we find you on socials? Give us a plug. Great. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, Kitty underscore Obsidian. I do also have a Facebook page um, as well, which is Kitty Obsidian. Um, I run a couple of different shows here in Melbourne um, and also make uh, like costume things for other people, but they're all linked in my link tree on my Instagram, so it's very easy to find. Um, I'm performing... Uh, next week on Saturday, I'm performing in Cirque de Moxie. Um, I'm debuting my new act. I'm really excited. Ooh. Tickets are still available. Um, and then on Sunday, I'm judging The Apprentice in Northcote at 24 Moons, I think. Yes. Um, yes. So I'm on the panel of judges there, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah. And then, yeah, I've got stuff all over. So check out Insta. Okay. All right. Check it out. Yeah. And do you have a, a song request before you go? I do, actually. Um, so I have, like, a particular crush on this incredible um, Australian Aboriginal uh, performer. Um, her name is Barker. Uh, she's a hip-hop sort of uh, rap artist, and I love her. And I think she's just won some awards or been nominated for some awards for her um, hit single, King Brown. So I'd like to listen to that, please. Amazing. Well, this mm. is King Brown by Barker, and you're on 3CR Queering the air. And we'll be back with um, the Indonesian Queer History Archives. My ex called me toxic, called me King Brown. Well, if I'm so toxic, why are you ringing now? You think you're a man, this is my house. I'm sorry, where the fuck is my crown now? I keep it, I just only want my land back, so give it. With my mental, cause I'm independent. When I left him, he said, Go ahead, you regret it. I ain't regret you, cause look at where Sissy's heading. Booty ma, you don't speak my language. I got signed up, cause Sissy is so hard to manage. I got a vacuum that stamps deep and leaves damage. Got your new dog by checking in, she a fan bitch. That's only standard, she demanded no respect. Your man lined up at Centrelink, demanding for a check. Promise I wouldn't come for him, I'm coming for his neck. I'm so sorry, but it's time to rain down. Sorry, ass, Mori, who the baby daddy me? Tears pouring, sorry, baby, you can't baby mama me. And I'm sitting back here yawning, cause I'm living drama free, and they keep running back to me, cause Bark is a base. Call me King Brown, you ain't fucking with me now. Came too far just to go back down. Call me King Brown, making money in my mouth. Yes, Bark, bitch, and this is my 
Levels to this rap shit and sis went and created one King Kong, now you can call me King Brown Put me on your ringtone and make sure that it ring loud I see independent titters, you all make me big proud I ain't going back to nothing too windy for ghost towns Ah, and I ain't saying I don't believe in love I'm just saying I don't believe you, dog Call me King Brown, you ain't fucking with me now Came too far just to go back down Call me King Brown, making money out my mouth Yeah, sparkin' bitch and this is my fucking house Call me King Brown, you ain't fucking with me now Came too far just to go back down Call me King Brown, making money out my mouth Yeah, sparkin' bitch and this is my fucking house I don't know Welcome back, 3CR, Queering the Air, and you are joined by myself, Jacob, and Sasha. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. We were just chatting with Kitty Obsidian, who is the winner of the NADOC Pride Award for 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, Check them out, Kitty Obsidian, on all the socials. Yeah, Instagram and um, Facebook. And um, I hope you get to also experience Kitty's um, perform performer performance. <laughs> yeah, so that will be next weekend. So check out, check out the socials, and mm. you will get all the informations. Amazing. Mm. And turning the dial a bit now, uh, we're going to be speaking about the Queer Indonesian Archives, which is a digital archiving project committed to the collection, preservation, and celebration of material reflecting the lives and experiences of queer Indonesia. Currently, there are three online exhibitions, Indonesian Queer Zines, Queer Jakarta in the 90s, and AIDS and Queers in Indonesia. And Sasha and I spoke with Bo Newham and Sidi Visatia from the Queer Indonesia Archives to learn about the archiving process and some of the special discoveries on display uh, in the exhibitions. Hello, my name is Bo. I'm originally from Sydney, Australia, Um, but up until the pandemic, I was living in Indonesia. I co-founded Queer Indonesia Archive with my friend uh, Ace at the tail end of 2019 and yeah i've been working alongside city um, for those exhibitions and for the field trips that we've been doing this year hey i'm cd i'm from indonesia uh magelang basically like in the central part of like java and yeah i work with qia uh queer indonesia archive since october 2020 we curated like these three exhibitions and one of them was about like HIV AIDS. You've collected this really large amount of um, archives documenting the queer history of Indonesia. Do you want to tell us what was the process for researching and gathering all of these materials? So basically, we, uh, at the very first stage, we collected these uh, research documents from like the US uh, researchers that did a lot of like research for 
I think about 30 years ya, Boy, in Indonesia. Yeah, mostly active in the 90s, though. Um, so essentially those two U.S. Uh, researchers, uh, Tom Bailstorff, uh, who focused mostly on gay men and trans women, and Evelyn Blackwood, who focused a lot on queer women and uh, trans masculine folk. Uh, and yeah, Tom Bailstorff thankfully digitized a large collection of community magazines whilst he was there. And he, he gave us these magazines and they kind of served as a basis of our collection. Um, we've rescanned a lot of those magazines now because, you know, his versions kind of were, you know, in cheap photocopy shops in the 1990s, so they weren't the highest quality. But um, using those magazines, what we do, we get a, um, a collection of people interested in one city. Uh, and we'll hand them the magazines and just be like, find everything you can find in these magazines about this one place. And then we get them to kind of map out, you know, who were the key people in that city, um, what name every organization that was active in that city, name the main events. And then when we plan a field trip, we kind of use that research to kind of be like, okay, well, who's still around? What organizations are still around? Um, and then, you know, when we are speaking to people, we'll be like, okay, what about this event? What about that event? Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of, like, very early steps on how we do a field trip. Yeah, and then, like, we also support, like, all these community-focused materials, which is, like, from the community, published by community, produced by community, that with, like, these whole articles from mass media to give, like, a bit context on, like, how like the Indonesian or like the Indonesian mass media or the government sees uh, like the the queers community in Indonesia. So I know this is really important. I mean, this is amazing what you are doing. But I have this tough question, like, you know, being queer in Indonesia is illegal. So being queer Muslim is illegal as well. So in a Muslim country, how how do you even get to do this project? I mean, is there any backlash when you're doing this um, um, exhibition while you're doing it? Talking about Indonesia and queer, um, I think as of now, we don't really have like single law that make it illegal, uh, like in terms of like legal. Uh, criminalization. Criminalizations, yeah. But then like there are other couple kind of like law that, has been used to kind of like persecute like the queer community from for their activities, mm. for example like anti-pornography things and uh, other things. But then yeah, and also like uh, in terms of like Muslim country and now how like the mo queer Muslim try to uh, deal with like this whole narrative. Mm that being queer Muslim, it's kind of like sinful and things like that. Yes. There are a lot of like uh, new movements from the queer, queer Muslim scholars to kind of like reinterpret like the, the, the script and then like the Bible and things like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, then they kind of like make alliance with these uh, 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 religious groups in Indonesia also to mm -hmm. start to give like them uh, uh, space to accept to be accepted like in, in, in the mosque in the uh, uh, Bible studies and things like that so far I would say we've been pretty lucky in regards to any backlash um, 
And I feel like some of that has been some strategic choices the archive made, even in terms of the name itself, like Queer Indonesia Archive. Queer isn't a particularly common mm. um, terminology in Indonesia. But what we did need to do is avoid... Well, in Indonesia, the most common acronym is LGBT. Um, but that was mostly popularized by conservative groups um, during a big moral panic in 2016. So LGBT has a really strong loaded connotation in the country. Um, so you won't find that acronym anywhere on our yeah. on our website for that reason. Um, and also we don't we don't publish pu- publish anything in our public collection that was made after 2010 just to um, kind of keep us out of any kind of contemporary um, issues on the ground, but also we don't want to be the ones that give undue attention to activist groups or movements or um, events that are going on um, in contemporary times because, uh, you know, the archive itself does kind of get different types of attention than maybe, you know, these activist groups are aiming for. Um, and because most of our stuff is before 1999, um, which... Um, for people who don't know, was the end um, was ninety eight ninety nine was the year that uh, the new order regime ended in Indonesia, um, and you know, from what I've noticed and how people react to our collection, because it is beca- from that earlier time, it's kind of seemed to be talking about an Indonesia that kind of exists in the past, which yeah. kind of gives us a bit of a free pass sometimes. I know in this uh, particular release of your archives, you had three exhibitions, right? So there was one on AIDS um, and queers. Uh, you also spoke about queer Jakarta and Indonesian queer zines. Um, and I know, City, you were quite involved in the AIDS and queers in Indonesia exhibition. Tell us a bit about that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the AIDS and queer exhibitions was... I mean, the process was interesting because uh, it started out with... Uh, Again, like those materials we had in hand from the zines that were scanned from the by the researcher from the U.S., and then we tried to kind of like track track down on how uh, the history of like it's AIDS in Indonesia. Because when we read about it, like it's always been uh, from the official, which somehow like erased like the involvement of like the queer communities in in how they respond to like this HIV AIDS things since the 1983. And from the research that we did and then like uh, from the materials that we had, we finally find that the community has been act- actively kind of like responding to like HIV AIDS issue and they've been trying to also push some uh, important regulations and also important uh, policy in order to deal with it uh, throughout the time. Uh, one of them like because um, yeah one of them was about like access to condoms and then like how to promote condoms and how to make it like more uh, interesting for the communities because condom was part of like family plan program in Indonesia and it was only accessible for like married uh, couples, heterosexual and things and then like this community tried to kind of like um, make couple of adverti- uh, ads uh, in their publications just to promote it, uh, socialize it to like queer community so that 
they are aware about like the the importance of having condoms uh, during sex and also it shows also like this um protest uh, from the trans women community in Jakarta back in 1985 or 87 because uh, the trans woman and the gay community was stereotyped and one of the big uh, regular events that tr- uh, Jakarta's tra- trans woman uh, hold in the past was this uh, blood donor mm. and they were they were banned mm. uh, to donating like their blood. LGBT people has been been stereotyped um, as ha- um, for contracting HIV, for carrying AIDS um, in the past, but it's, it's different now. I mean, in Southeast Asia, there's not much awareness about HIV. People don't know about prevention, like condoms and also PrEP medication, um, that kind of thing. And even like if somebody has um, HIV, they if they are treated, they can't... They can't um, they can't pass the disease to another person mm. if they get treated. But in Southeast Asia, there's not much awareness about it till today. Um, in, in Australia, definitely there's awareness everywhere. You get posters and, and campaigns everywhere. But um, is this something that you're trying to do uh, back in Indonesia, like raising a lot more awareness and educate people about HIV and AIDS? Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of like uh, the, the research that we did like on how like then the community, because like in the first uh, first decade, like from the 83s uh, until like 93, because like they are stigmatized, no uh, sufficient information about HIV AIDS, mm. uh, official uh, or the government didn't really kind of like publish something to, to let them know about like this uh, issue. But then like the queer community has been stigmatized mm. and things like that. So there were like this... Uh, uh, people uh, like queer community was kind of like afraid of like their own identity, okay. and they started to kind of like they they send letters to like the publications, uh, community publications, the scenes like, uh, do I have to give up my gayness in order to avoid HIV AIDS? Mm. There are a lot of like those those type of questions, yeah. and yeah, it makes like the the community leaders uh, aware that. They have to educate themselves uh, mm. and study it by themselves instead of like waiting for the officials to study it. Mm. And they, yeah, and then like they start to give these articles about HIV AIDS uh, that was translated from like the the Victorian AIDS Council and things like that. And also they started to adapt like uh, posters from uh, other countries as well in yeah. order to let the communities knows that it's it's not. Uh, it's not about your your identity. It's about how to avoid it. It's not about your identity. It's about how to avoid it. Um, you're on Querying the Air at Tracy R Community Radio. We're currently listening to a conversation with Bo Newman and Sid about the Queer Indonesian Archives, a collection of digital archives documenting the lives of queer Indonesians. Um, Sid was just speaking about an exhibition on AIDS and queers, and now we're going he- to hear about the other two exhibitions, Indonesian Queer Zines and Queer Jakarta in the 90s. Uh, and I know community was a really strong theme throughout all three 
of the exhibitions. Um, some of the other ones, the Queer Jakarta one and the Indonesian Queer Zines one, really sparked my interest. So can you tell us a bit more about those? I was the one who pulled together the, the Queer Indonesia Zines exhibition. Um, so this one really explores all of the community publications that um, at the point of exhibiting that we've been able to collect. Um, I think luckily in the last few field trips we've done, we've also managed to collect a few more titles that we didn't know existed. Um, but, you know, throughout the 1980s, right up until the middle 2000s, when, the, you know, the internet kind of took over, um, these publications were the main ways that, um, you know, especially gay men communicated with one another. Um, you know, the biggest title in the collection is from Gaya Nusantara, um, the longest running um, LGBTIQ plus organization in Indonesia. Though at the beginning it was um, what, the KKLGN, the Kelompok Kerja Lesbian and Gay Nusantara, or the, the Gay and Lesbian Indonesian Working Group. Um, and they, I think it's 134 titles in their original run. Um, used to be sold in salons and um, at other gay and lesbian organizations or, um, yeah, like, um, you know, kind of clandestine um, bookshops that were willing to sell it. Um, and, they're, yeah, they're just really remarkable publications. There's, you know, not only do you get, you know, a lot of disinformation that's getting out, you also get some amazing, um, I guess, insight into the the arguments and discourse going between community members. Um, one of my favorite back and forths is um, Daddy Otomo writes an essay um, sending out to the community being like, where are the lesbians? <laughs> and, you know, immediately uh, there's a very um, kind of insightful and like fierce response by a local lesbian activist kind of, you know, just pointing out all of the structural barriers there are to queer women being able to access public space, access resources, and kind of get involved in the same levels of activism as the rest of the community. Yeah. Um, there's also some amazing, um, uh, and this kind of grew as the magazines got more popular, but the, the personal section at the back of the magazines where people are kind of putting themselves out there and, you know, trying to connect with connect romantically or sexually with other members of the community are just, like, really touching and insightful and funny. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, like, a real insight into the types of patience you would have to have back in the day to try and connect with people because, you know, they're giving their P.O. boxes and, you know, waiting, you know, waiting a few months for a letter to arrive and then, you know, waiting a few months for their letter to be read and just, like, back and forth, thing like that. I mean, mm. you know, these days I get grumpy if someone hasn't replied to me on Grindr in half an hour. So, you know, it's a very different world. And then our colleague, Ice, he was the curator of our um, Jakarta in the 90s and Incomplete History exhibition. Um, essentially what we were just trying to do is capture... Um, a bit of an insight into what Jakarta was like in the 1990s. Um, in community, Jakarta in the 90s is kind of, I guess, references a bit of a golden age in terms of um, kind of queer nightlife in Indonesia, um, especially for um, the warrior groups and for gay men. There was a huge vibrant scene of um, nightclubs, um, discotheques, um, and... I guess, uh, warrior performance troops uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, really 
or oh, and warrior run um, beauty salons and hairdressers, and you know culturally they just like v- very much dominated um, the the scene in Jakarta in the nineties. You know, just in I guess the same ways that the nineteen nineties was a cultural decade in many parts of the world where queer community is like really rose to the forefront in yeah. dominating the um, the how to have fun scene. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it's. It was a small collection. Um, I guess due to COVID, um, we didn't get as many materials as we would have hoped. But um, there's a beautiful uh, photo collection um, from a trans woman that ran a salon throughout the 1990s. Um, there's some great photos of parties put on by an organization called Ipos or Gaya Petawi, um, which ran um, you know large collections of. I guess cabaret shows and theater productions and nightclubs um, throughout you know various venues in Jakarta as well, and I yeah and I guess the um, kind of even in the you know more mainstream giant nightclubs in Jakarta there was always a huge queer presence in the in the nineties so we're just trying to capture a bit of that um, and yeah but I think by the end of it we'll just like. Oh, there's so you know, there's so, so many stories here. There's so much going on in this you know giant city. You know, Jakarta on a bad day is, you know, roughly the population of Australia in one place. <laughs> so, um, and I'm sure you put, I'm sure you've gotten a sense um, from me and City back going back and forth that you know Indonesia is such a giant um, place. There's uh, so many cities that all have their own histories. Is it different if like? You're talking about archive as well. Is it, you know, there's a lot of happen, have had happen in Banda Aceh, mm. especially with queer community there, especially the warrior, because they're so visible. They, especially last year, some has been arrested, some mm. has been killed. So is that going to be on your, also the history of the archives? Yeah. I mean, like uh, our, our focus for like tw- 2022 uh are mostly in five cities five four cities that we had kind of like uh, based on on like who to contact at what events and things like that and it it will be like Yogyakarta yeah. which is like uh, where the Wari Al Fatah is yes. and then Surabaya uh, where the Gaya Nusantara uh, one of the first uh and first and last uh, how you call uh, it's it? the first gay and lesbian organization, yeah, um, and st- still ongoing today. Um, and Solo Malang, where the parties was uh, were so uh, live there, and then Makassar, uh, where this like, yeah, gay community and like Guardia community uh, kind of like grew up uh, until now. And yeah, I mean like slow. Slowly we'll we'll go like to another cities in in Indonesia yeah. and yeah uh, we've been having this kind of like uh, feedbacks also from our audience that we've been focusing on like mostly Java yeah okay. and like yeah 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 I think um you know at the moment in terms of field trips it's probably a small team of about um, eight eight nine people that get involved in the field trips. Um, you know, they're 10 days, they're really intense, um, you know, mostly it's like getting up very early and getting to bed really late, um, and, 
you know, is um, romantic as kind of doing these field trips sound. A lot of it is just sitting down and like scanning hundreds of documents, <laughs> um, scanning hundreds of documents in um, someone's lounge room. Um, but we're hopeful that uh, next year or the year after we'll be able to focus on Eastern Indonesia. Um, for those who don't know, Eastern Indonesia is the majority um, Christian or Catholic parts of Indonesia, and there's been some really strong, um, um, you know, very strong ac- activism in those parts of Indonesia and very strong uh, trans women communities. Indonesia has been, there's a lot of influence with Dutch influence. Mm. Um, are you going to take this exhibition to Holland at some stage? Well, uh, our focus will be actually like when we are talking about our public, our focus will be like giving this history back to the community first. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, it can be, can be. Sometime in the <laughs> because future. Because I've, I've, I've visited Holland, especially uh-huh. in Amsterdam. There's a lot of Indonesians who lives there. Mm-hmm. Every corner, there's Indonesian restaurants everywhere. <laughs> so I feel at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's why I asked you that question. Yeah, I think for us, it was really important to make all of our materials available to the, the communities in Indonesia. Because I, I think what we got a sense of really early on was that um, a lot of, a lot of young, especially younger queer Indonesians, were only really accessing their history via these Western academics, and even you know queer researchers in Indonesia, when they were writing about it, they were essentially writing it, writing about their own histories, um, by kind of doing their own analysis of these Western academics. So what we wanted to do was make sure that you know. Um, obviously ethically and with um, the community's safety in mind, but make sure that people could access um, these primary sources um, from the community firsthand instead of having to kind of, um, you know, go through the West in order to even access their own histories. Yeah, and just to finish up, I'd love to hear one highlight from each of you about this process or about the exhibition, because I'm sure it must be such a rewarding experience to finally get this mm. off the ground and, and be able to share your amazing work um, with Melbourne. An artist outside of uh, the Queer Indonesia archive um, had been going through our lesbian magazine materials and she came across a series of, um, I guess, personals between uh queer women in Indonesia and it inspired her to do this really bittersweet um, beautiful comic series imagining the kind of um, letter love affair between two queer women in Indonesia and kind of heard her you know using the archive to inspire this um, you know queer creative work to me was just like okay this is exactly what the archive is all about kind of giving um, queer Indonesians access to their own histories and them them taking it in a completely unexpected um, direction to kind of speak both to the history but also kind of situations that are going on now. Yeah, for me personally, I, I did this three-month residency doing uh, archiving process in Yogyakarta uh, back in November until like February this year. And it was really exciting for me because I've lived there for 13 years before. And then I re-experiencing like 
the city from different perspective. I was, mm. I was a bit distant from the communities. I mean, I, I was, I was not sure uh, about my identity. But now, like uh, in two thousand and twenty one until twenty twenty two, I was like re-experiencing the city from the history of the queer community, and it was like, it was, it was really beautiful for me because finally I found like uh, a route in a way because. Mm. I've been moving around, like live from one city to another since I was a kid. So be able to find a route, like it was, yeah, it was kind of like beautiful for me. And then like uh, knowing like the histories of the communities there and how they kind of like get together and then like find friends, find a date and went to a party and things like that was kind of like something that I I might not be experiencing in uh, in a physical way, mm. but then like emotionally, listening to their stories is kind of like bringing me back to some kind of like romanticized, a uh, roman romantic moments or period in the past, which finally I can relate to as mm. a queer Indonesian. And you're listening to 3CR's Crew the Air. That was Bo Newman and Sadivi Satya speaking on the Queer Indonesian Archives. And if you want to learn more, you can check out their website, qiarchive.org, where you can view their online exhibitions or follow them on social media, qi.archive on Instagram or qiarchive on Twitter. That was a good interview, isn't it? Um, there's a lot that uh, I've learned from that interview as well, um, because my heritage is, of course, um, Malaysian Indonesians. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's actually really nice to see that um, we get to learn about our history. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, we also have um, uh, an event called Queer Pacifica: The Rebirth of the Cool. is by uh, Amal. Um, and also Creative Brim Bank um, at the Bowery Theatre next Thursday. Um, so this is um, an event. It's about a um, great night of conversation, performance, um, and storytelling. And we've hosted Amal um, and a special guest as we navigate through the journeys of the rainbow community from the Pacifica Dysphora. And all tickets, proceeds, donate to the Tongan Ladies Associations. So, um... Please get your tickets. Um, we hope to see you there. So you can get um, your tickets um, on Queer Pacifica, The Rebirth of the Cool on Facebook. Um, yeah, it's um, tickets also on China Bookings. Um, Queer Pacifica, The Rebirth of the Cool. So that will be Thursday, 21st July, 2022, 6.30 p.m. So um, at the Bowery Theatre in St. Albans. So I hope to see everyone there. And before I go, I would like to apologize to Kitty and our Indigenous um, listeners that I'm really sorry that I stumbled on the acknowledgement of the country earlier. I don't know what happened uh, with my notes, but yeah, I'm really sorry. So 3CR is proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Sensational. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. You've been listening to Queering the Air here on 3CR.